0: Come on, you sissy, be a man. Don't cry. Grow some muscle, you puny wimp. Real men are ripped. Kick his ass. What? You ate a salad? Fucking rabbit food. Real men eat meat, and only meat. Cooked over a fire, on a stick. You want that woman? Fucking fucker? What? She said no. So what? Inside, every no is a yes waiting to come out. You just gotta get it. Get it out of her by getting it in her. Know what I mean? We all know what toxic masculinity is. Or do we? Why is it suddenly a thing the media is obsessed with? And is it really a new phenomenon at all? Where does it come from? Is it simply an inherent aspect of being a male? How is it taught? How is it reinforced? How is it represented in the stories we read and watch? How do we diffuse it? What is the antidote? Join me and my intrepid co-host, Jen Zuko, as well as some other guests, as we embark on another semi-drunken exploration of the intersection of literature and society as we discuss problematic, toxic masculinity tropes. So before we get um, into problematic toxic masculinity trope number one, go big or go home, we wanted I have to.
1: Two, I have two disclaimers. Yeah, but go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, we we wanted to first discuss what we mean by toxic masculinity, what it is and is not, and as I was as I was uh, doing my little research, I. I found an old book from grad school days called uh, My Enemy, My Love by Judith Levine.
1: Oh, I've heard of it.
0: And the original subtitle was Man-Hating and Ambivalence in Women's Lives. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and then the, they changed the subtitle um, for the 2013 edition. Yeah. But it had some interesting stuff in it that I thought was... That could tie in really well with some of these tropes especially since we're going to have a, a brief discussion which you know Well, yeah
1: i mean just like just like the badass female tropes this this series is about gender and power and mm-hmm. the damaging things that happen when we have problems with that in our culture so that's kind of it's they're not the same as the badass female tropes but they're certainly linked and they're right. They, we're, they're talking about us. we're talking about a similar sort of thing which is gender and power and the damage that it does mm. but as far as the phrase toxic masculinity that is one of my two disclaimers actually yes <laughs> thank you for that segue <laughs> um, so I mean okay look it's 2019 if you're not An angry feminist I don't even know What you're doing Right So that's just Yes Good True But um, a lot of particularly pissed off feminists who want to, you know, get things changed are using this phrase, toxic masculinity to stop conversations, or mm-hmm. they use that phrase to equate to all masculinity. And I want to make sure right. I want to reiterate, well, I'm iterating it. now but I'm going to be reiterating it all the time <laughs> throughout <laughs> all of our talks that toxic masculinity does not mean masculinity. Toxic masculinity Correct. is not, I mean, hashtag not all men, I know it's kind of a joke, but, but it's true though. Right. Men men are not intrinsically toxic. Men are not the problem here. The problem here is patriarchy, right. particularly like imperialist, capitalist patriarchy, heteronormative crap and all that stuff. It's not the men, it's it's how it's when the men choose to do toxic behaviors or when they make toxic choices. I am not equating. I am a pissed off feminist. Like I said, all of you should be too. Right. But I'm not equating men with toxic masculinity. Masculinity is not toxic by itself. So I just want to say that. I'm going to say it way too many times and your listeners are going to get really sick of it, (laughs) but I don't care because I'm very, very adamant about that. Right. And the second thing is... Another disclaimer, which is kind of the same as the problematic badass female tropes, but those are a lot harder to spot. With these, I just want to make sure that everyone knows I'm not bringing these up and naming them and pinpointing them because I want everyone to now start hating the things that they used to love. That's not the point of this either. The point is that because they are... Toxic masculinity, and because they are tropes, and the definition of a trope is it's repeated over and over and over and over and over. Right. I just want people to be without without question. Right. I always want people to question it, to be aware, so that they're not blindly taking in all of this toxic masculinity. So that at least, I mean, look, I am a huge James Bond fan. Giant. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that on number
0: three.
1: (laughs) But. I know what it is that I'm consuming and if you blindly consume these tropes and they are tropes they repeat themselves mm-hmm. it means that you start to particularly boys trying to emulate what they think a man should be based on what they see in culture they start to emulate problems so at least if you can go into a James Bond movie and go okay this is really fun right. and I get it and I get it and I'm not going to emulate that because I shouldn't Right. so that's the, that's my second disclaimer A. toxic masculinity does not equal men and to still love the things, right? Right. <laughs> just pay it. At, pay attention, like Dr. Bell said in the yep. other podcast I was
0: on. And for my own thing, it was what I wanted to kind of draw the distinction because you know I read a number of articles. I think that you sent me or that I found mm-hmm. um, through, uh, you know, that are that are kind of related to it. And one of the things that I have also noticed just in my own interactions with some angry feminists who decided to be angry at me.
1: Well, especially if you're a straight, white, cis um, male. I mean, yeah. for, for
0: things that I legitimately <laughs> did wrong. But there seems to be a tendency to take that term toxic masculinity and use it the same way and apply it in the same fashion that they do the term misogyny. To uh-huh. to equate it with um, a, a, a and to, to treat them as interchangeable terms. And they're right. not, really. No,
1: they're not. They're, they're not,
0: not because misogyny is purely an outward-directed malady. Yeah, it's,
1: it's hatred towards women. but And Where, that's only as,
0: one. Right. And that's one or, of the first you know, men, questions I... It, it manifests
1: I, a couple of ways, but it's not... Right. All, yeah. Yeah, right.
0: And that was one of my... Questions that I wrote down first off was what is toxic mani- masculinity? Is it monodirectional and external only, or is it bi-directional, both external and internal? And toxic, hi cat, toxic,
1: <laughs> toxic oh,
0: masculinity is usually button. brought on by a little white kitten. <laughs>
2: oh, hi, white kitten.
0: Um, but it's bi-directional because like our, our problematic female tropes, but maybe even more so, toxic masculinity is, 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 a, is also a form of, of self abuse. These are things directed oh, sure. that men direct at themselves as much as they direct outward at women. Yeah, so, and it
1: depends on the trope. Like, and, and patriarchy, like I would, like I've been saying in these articles so far, mm-hmm. patriarchy damages men too. Oh, exactly. And unfortunately, in in Hollywood, we only have binary gender. We don't really have a whole lot right. of like non binary. But, but yeah, no, it's it it damages men too. And the, and it's this kind of patriarchy that makes men make these choices for all kinds of reasons. Why do they make toxic choices? Well, right. they've been bullied, or they have trauma, or they. Suffer that intense pressure that all humans do, which is Mm -hmm. to belong and the things that happen to you Psychologically when you are outcast are actually quite serious. It's this intrinsic nature. We are half half a tribal Species and we have to belong if we don't then it's we make we make major problems and if they're being told if men are being told hey Grow go big or go home. Hey, you're you're too skinny (laughs) <laughs> or I was just having a conversation today with a friend um, who was like, you know, I, I know I'm, I mean, I'm not really straight, but I'm, I'm definitely not gay, but I'm definitely <laughs> not completely straight. I'm like, well, I'm, I mean, maybe you're bi, I'm bi. He's like, yeah, it's just too much of trouble to try and figure that out. I was like, oh, I'm like, why, why is it too much trouble? He's like, because it's really not socially acceptable. Yeah. So this there's... poor guy is like, I'm probably bisexual. No one's going to allow me to figure that out or explore that because and like I was commenting to him, I was like, yeah, well, it is a lot more in this heteronormative heterosexual male patriarchy society. It's mm-hmm. way socially acceptable for women to be gay. Right. That, Cause that's hot. Right. But but, but only if a you're a man, certain type
0: a, of women, woman. Well, right? sure,
1: yeah. If you're pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's or, the. You know, it's traditionally pretty. But you know, for a guy to want dick, that's like a big problem. Still, still in 2019. So this poor guy is like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he has this whole part of his sexuality that he's just not bothering right. to own because, like he said, it's like the pressure and the the bullying is way too extreme. So I, I find that horrible, and that's, that's something that he is damaging himself doing that, and right. it's society damaging too. Yeah, it's yep. not just himself. Obviously, he'd be, he'd be making other choices if he were allowed to, but mm-hmm. anyway, so that's where these toxic masculinity tropes come in, and I named them that because I didn't really have another good, I don't know, phrase in English to <laughs> use for it, and it kind of matches the problematic badass female tropes too, sort of, so that's right. why.
0: And before we get to go big or go home directly, I I mean, this is kind of the start of it. I wanted to have also kind of a discussion about this idea to kind of – because essentially these tropes, both the problematic badass female tropes and these – problematic toxic masculinity tropes, these are tied to, tied to fictional representations. That's what we're looking at, is, is the yes. representation of manhood inside media.
1: Yes, exactly, and in culture, entertainment, arts, because right. culture reflects our art and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about the tropes, we're talking about our action tropes in things that are created. <laughs>
0: right, right. Um, but one of the things Not I, I got to thinking about as I was doing some reading on this one, and this may have been the mistake that I made, was doing a lot of reading <laughs> before we did this. Is that ever but,
1: a mistake?
0: <laughs> well, maybe for me, because what I ended up wanting to kind of talk about before we get to, you know, focusing on the tropes and the media is is this, this thought that I had. Um, because when it comes to the the problematic badass female tropes, what is the, uh, what is the solution? What's the remedy to that? Well, it's more women writing movies, more women directing movies, more women producing movies. It's, it's yeah. giving that voice and you will find that those tropes get erased and diminished because you have that, that the woman's voice being elevated and, and taking control of those, those stories where they've been diminished and they can redirect those.
1: Yeah, they can at least improve, if not
0: completely go away. So, but when we get into talking about toxic masculinity tropes, when we get into talking about toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. because of the structure of patriarchy, what is the solution? What is the remedy for— Down with the
1: patriarchy.
0: But, right, and that is true. I agree. (laughs) Right, Heather? (laughs) Down with the patriarchy. (laughs) But, but how
2: do you, you know, do that? Um, That's- for the betterment of us all, for for everybody's sake, down with the patriarchy, because the I mean, even in the um, if you take it beyond sexuality, if you take it into racism, um, we're all benefiting from these paradigms being destroyed and taken down. And as soon as they are, then cheers to us all.
1: It does occur to me, having you having put it like that, Jason, that, and and what you were saying too, Heather, it it makes me think that maybe solving the problematic badass female tropes might be a simpler solution than solving the toxic masculinity tropes. Right. Or at least it's a it's a less complicated solution taking down the entire social structure that creates these toxic masculine tropes is a much bigger project than just, hey, let's have women write more comics and write more movies mm-hmm. and direct more, you know, that, that's not easy. And we can see that happening even now in 2019, but it's a lot easier than, <laughs> than just down with the, I mean, down with the patriarchy. That's right. That's and a much more long-term complicated process. So what can we do in the meantime before the patriarchy crumbles and we burn the earth
0: and all that kind of shit? Because <laughs> like, I think right? what what gets to me <laughs> before the earth crumbles? Yeah. Before,
1: you know, the world ends. So yeah, like be, that'll be like
0: next what? Tuesday. We don't have much 20, time.
1: 20 years. Yeah. Right. Next Tuesday.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, to get to a, uh, because one of the questions i had one of the things i asked myself in my notes and this had to this has to do with this and i think we've talked about what's behind this note before the fact that you know when you are like me the straight white male you're at the top of the the patriarchal structure
1: and especially now that you have money oh
0: Ugh. but going down in, in a patriarchal structure, we understand why women, minorities, and stuff like this want to obtain the power at the top. Because why wouldn't you, right?
1: I don't, I don't know that that's really the case in a lot we're, of the we're gonna,
0: we're gonna, we're gonna movements. stomp it down. Us white men are gonna stomp it down, but we respect the desire to gain power.
1: I don't think that's really the desire to gain power. I think it's the desire for equality. I don't exactly. think that these movements. I mean, there are certain people who are like, "Hey, I want to depose the king and then sit right. on his throne." And that's why feminism gets a bad name right. But I don't think that's what most of these Movements are about In fact I, I think that's the opposite They don't want to depose The men and then take their power They want mm-hmm. equality They want everyone They don't even want to like necessarily Take away men's power They just mm-hmm. want that What They want it all to be equal right. They don't want only white men to be able To have the power Right. I think that's way different than than what you're saying about like trying to take over the, the kingship kind of thing, I,
0: I I do I understand that I get that. What I'm saying is that from a from a, a rigidly patriarchal mindset, all this equality is pie, and there's a oh, right, limited sure. amount, and you all are coming for it.
1: Right. There's not there's right. not that understanding. On so the top.
0: yeah. So what I'm, you know, yeah, when you're when you're in that power position, anything that diminishes that you that that spreads that power that that, that dilutes the concentration of power, because patriarchy is 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 on gender, race, and wealth, and anything that diminishes, you know, that was part of the what makes patriarchy powerful is that you have to have all three to be on the top.
1: I don't think that um, it diminishes the power either, though. It, it would it just—it it feels like that, though. It feels like it when you when you, you have top.
0: it when you have the, when you have the market cornered and someone right, wants you it. Right, feel
1: like you're being threatened. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. Right. So what I so my question was: Is are we running the risk of a kind of catch twenty two? A patriarchal society is already hyper focused on men and men's issues. Are we providing patriarchy a way to ignore women's abuse? And this has to do with with limiting the definition or, or, or misusing the term, um, toxic masculinity, um, way to ignore or diminish women's abuse by the patriarchal system in favor of focusing on itself. One of the things about patriarchy is that it permits, um, males to be childishly self-centered and demand Mm -hmm. a maternal figure solve the problem. Right. Right? So if we're not careful about how we define toxic masculinity, if we're if we're loose as to what it does and who it affects, we can we end up with a situation where it's not a man's problem to solve. We don't have to do anything. We just need to wait for women to solve the problem.
1: Um, That's interesting. I never thought of that before.
2: So Chelsea Handler uh, has this new special on Netflix called Hello Privilege. It's me, Chelsea. And uh-huh. she and I, I'm, I'm quick to make this comparison again, I guess, because I just watched this. But, um, you know, she's she's talking to a group of minority uh, people regarding uh, race about her privilege as a white person. And uh-huh. the argument some of these participants in the audience had was, you know, you making a documentary about your white privilege is white privilege um and you (laughs) coming to us asking to fix the problem of racism is backwards um it's all great and fine and well that you want to include us in your conversations now but y'all need to figure your own shit out was kind of the the thrust so don't come to us for how to solve your white privilege problem um It's a white privilege to even ask us to help solve that. So I I feel like, in a sense, everybody's got to come to terms with their own, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I as a white woman and, you know, us as white people and and you as a white man, we all have this kind of... um, you know, in anthropology, it was this 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 idea of of recognizing your bias. We've all got a bias. Recognizing
1: your bias, yeah, that's important.
2: And uh, you know, before any kind of field project, before any kind of research, you know, really dive deep into yourself before you look outwardly. And uh, going back to you know, again, that anthropological education. I feel like a lot of this stems from just the the basic enculturation of white men to be one thing and then Mm -hmm. you know now society's saying oh wait hold up that's actually not how you're supposed to be and it seems as though there is quite the identity crisis that's happening within that, that realm. And that'll happen
1: when something like that is sort of starting to be knocked down and that mm-hmm. there will be sort of an opposite pendulum swing, I think. I don't know that there's any way around that, but right. Um, I also hesitate to talk too much about real life. I want to talk more about these pieces of art and entertainment and media because that from, by doing that, we can then reflect on how it affects real men and women and everyone. Mm-hmm. But I, I hesitate just because I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not a social worker. I'm not, you know, a philosopher. I, I don't really what I do is I analyze literature and media and we can reflect on what that does, because obviously literature and media is made from people in a culture and it reflects the culture and also does the opposite. But I also don't want to be like, hi, I'm an anthropologist and I'm going to solve all of our literal societal problems. I'd rather talk about these tropes and then we can sort of leave it up to the people noticing them after we talk about them and go, oh, okay, so here are some choices I can make
2: that are
1: different. Or at least here's how I can be aware that that is toxic. Does that does that make sense? Yep. Totally.
0: Okay. And the one last thing I, I wanted to kind of and, and like I said I wanted to kind of lay like as general groundwork to understand that that I think part of it was is that I um compared to the problematic f- badass female tropes I felt and maybe it's just because you don't have the other ones fully written yet. <laughs> I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm written all. And, and we're going to be really winging it for the last 3 and because and because this is such a touchy and and fraught issue, maybe more so for me um, than it is for either of you right now, because and because I kind of have to walk out into the world, and this is a, a I see it sometimes as as a uh, as a hammer. Um, and I'll see if this little note—one of my last notes—I'll share with us, and we'll get into into go big or go home. But this was my little note. Um, women want men to be emotionally, more emotionally open and honest about their feelings. Then they have an emo- Then men have an emotional response to a word like feminine, which is trained into them by the demands of patriarchy to react angrily to. We don't want to be accused to be accused of being girly. Right. Um, but then we had that emotional reaction to be called girly, and then we get told that, you know, not to be so emotional. <laughs> um, this And it seems like a fundamental problem with the defended rigid male position. Any move outside of the box is dangerous from both angles. Um, stay in the box and you're under attack for being a patriarchal dinosaur step out of the box and you're under attack from the patriarchal dinosaurs you're trying to leave behind and if you aren't perfect and I think this is a unique problem right now in our in our technological on online all the time society more than it would be at any other time but if you aren't perfect in this new and unfamiliar environment you're under attack for still being a dinosaur from the people who support you need in order to get out of that confined patriarchal box.
1: Yeah, if you make a mistake in this new way of being, then you get completely, like, swarmed like piranhas.
0: Yeah, and that's it's something that I had a, some very personal experience with just in the last month. I, I, I made a mistake. And when in a way I phrased a question to, to a woman and it wasn't just the response wasn't just that I did something wrong. It's that all of my attempts to understand, to break out of, of my patriarchal box then became seen as, as a lie and a falsehood. And this was, oh, yeah. I was not, I was dishonest and I was toxic. And it's like, right, right. I misphrased one question And so, you know, I just wanted to say that therefore for the the straight white male and the straight white male patriarchy, you know, it's—I keep trying to step out of the box just because I think, one, I don't fit into the box. And I know I don't fit into the box. And I can't fit into the box. And at the same time, there are sometimes—like in all of these articles, the support articles that I read here, I see these guys stepping out of the box in certain ways, and I go, no— no, I'm not doing that. That's too soft.
1: Right, right. Well, that's what I—that's what I mean by the the pendulum swinging far, too far in the other direction. Is like when you're trying to change a, an entire like way of a society like that, it is going to be pretty rough. It's not. <laughs> not everybody is completely enlightened and you know able to deal with you know we don't really think only rationally or only with emotion we the two were mixed in this huge like slurpy day at 711 sludge <laughs> all the time so yeah and that's not fair what how you were treated that's not fair but it's like there's kind of yeah but it's understandable it's understandable, the it's understandable
0: yeah. because but there's painful, there's not you know? it's painful too but it's understandable in that that person not only had that m- microcosm experience with me, they had an entire lifetime of experience of men treating her that way.
2: Sure. Well, and that's, I, I find it so reactionary and that's, that's where, um, I've, I've seen a lot of the problems occur where we have this backlash, Mm -hmm. um, in regard to this subject and it's, it's, it's reactionary. And I hate to put it like this. I hate to But this is actually how I've kind of felt personally when it comes to my own anxieties about similar scenarios. It's the it's the wounded dog. You know, you're suddenly very timid and and quick to jump at any kind of movement around you because you've been so programmed to think in a certain way.
1: And that's natural. I mean, and like what Jason said, it's it's a reaction. It is reactionary. I don't think you're wrong in saying that. It is it is literally from not just a lifetime of a woman being abused, but it is generations mm-hmm. of women being abused. Yep. And there's all that blood memory in there, too. So, yeah, it's going right. to get unfair, I think, a little bit.
2: Sure. And that social pendulum that you referred to, that um, was brought up by a teacher of mine, which just stayed I took this. Uh, fascinating class called uh, Feminism and Hip Hop and which was one of my Hi. faves uh, honestly it was one of my few women's studies courses uh, admittedly but she explained it that same way and it's always stuck with me is that societal change has this pendulum effect before it finally balances itself out to some kind of right. neutrality mm-hmm. um, and that's what I kind of see here is a is a you know It's a gut feeling that you get when, you know, you finally have the freedom to react when you haven't before. And I think sometimes even myself, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of tend to do that, that just kind of like hyper realization that, oh, this is a newfound freedom that I have. How do I use it? And I think there's going to be this balancing act when we as we all find our footing, basically.
1: And that woman is probably just like, "No way! I thought you were one of the good ones." God damn it! Right. Like that's probably how she felt, right? Oh yeah,
0: which and is
1: unfair because you are one of the good ones. You made a mistake, and you're the kind of person who can be like, "Oh, sorry about that. Thank you for telling yeah. me."
0: Well, in the moment, I, I just now kind of do differently. <laughs> I, I mounted my defenses and and built the yeah. wall in the moment, and well, then wasn't later, what happens. right?
1: Because again, we are emotional
0: things, right? So right. Anyway. And we still have, we still have somewhere inside us both the child we're trying to protect and the monster we created to protect that child. Oh, that's you a know. lovely way of putting it. And that. and that's from Mark Marin, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, that's Mark Maron. So this brings us actually back to the trope and to one of the. F- the uh, the philosophical points that that you know I've been harping on for like the last twenty years, which is, you know, <laughs> Zeva Karazan's quote, quote, that the world is created in words first. Yes. right? And so we recognize that we have this problem in in wait, wait, our patriarch.
1: We have known each other for twenty years.
0: Yeah. Nineteen ninety nine. What's th- God damn it? All
1: right. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Go on. I didn't need to interrupt you with my with your age. with your
0: sudden realization of the concept of math. Is that
1: <laughs> no? The concept of time going by. Oh, damn it. Okay. Go
0: okay. On. So you know the world is written first, and everything that happens in it happens in language first. And this is this is my segue and back into the trope is that by identifying these these toxic masculinity tropes that appear in media media where it has an influence we these 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 tropes wrote a world that we live in now
1: yes yeah mm-hmm.
0: by identifying them and talking about them we can break them down and hopefully get people that will write remedy tropes
1: remedy tropes
0: <laughs> remedy tropes to these things which then will write a new world will make it easier for people like me to step out of the box, make it easier for guys who are in more traditionally masculine boxes to step like out of it. my friend
1: to go figure out what bi means.
0: Right. And so here we are with our very like, first- Like
1: antibody tropes.
0: Right. And and I think by discussing these tropes you've identified, we can begin the process. We can extract the blood that's needed to build the antidote, right?
2: A whole new world. <laughs> okay yes what is that from the
0: little mermaid no what what is that from
1: that's from aladdin
0: oh i'm getting my disney movies
1: open your thighs. oh wait oh yeah i have a whole pornographic version of it as you do Uh,
0: of course you do (laughs) bring me back to the first trope so bring you back to the first trope so here we are our first toxic masculinity trope do you want to define it or shall i do it real quick
1: Um, why don't you define it?
0: Okay, and see if I get it right.
1: I already have. I've written the
0: article. This is basically go big or go home. This is the trope that says that in order to be a man, to be a hero, to be, to be, um, yeah, to be a heroic male, you must be the largest, most physically dominant specimen in the room.
1: And that's your only choice for physical beauty.
0: Correct. To be, to be large. And what this is, this is kind of your, your trope that that plays into and can create situations in men where they have body dysmorphia, they have eating oh, yeah. disorders, they become—they damage themselves by, by overexertion and steroid use, and, and so in order to obtain this— And even obesity. Mm, yeah, because it's—if if you are if you are a big man, then you have to eat a certain way, and you eat a certain way to become a big man, and suddenly— you know, your your you have a cholesterol over four hundred and and you know a BMI of at seventy and and you die of a heart attack at forty.
1: Yeah, and if you're if you're small and or skinny, then you're a fucking faggot, right? Which is still a very I hate using that phrase. It makes mm-hmm. me ill, but. That is still a very damaging bullying phrase. That's still used for men who are not as big as they can be, or big cut muscles, or they're called girly men in sports. Like, hey, you throw like a girl. That still happens.
0: Mm -hmm. And you're pointing this one mostly at the MCU.
1: Mostly because it's the easiest way to look at it, especially if you look at um, those like comic book movies Mm -hmm. in general. Um, how how the go-big-or-go-home thing has even... We, we've even gotten bigger and bigger and bigger with our heroes. Right. Also, when I look at the MCU universe, I could, you can see very clearly how the heroes are always big and muscular and mm-hmm. the villains are the ones who are slender.
2: Have you guys read any of this criticism recently about the new Joker movie? How, you know, essentially what we're doing here is reifying like hello we've seen this trope before but it's it's now playing out in walmart's oh and, sure you mm-hmm. know we we've kind of had enough of this why are we glorifying this character in this film which i think yeah, is an interesting I, I sort of point of talk about
1: the oppressed like incel type in the second trope a little bit more mm-hmm. um, but yeah no absolutely it's this it's, it's this unattainable Ideal that you can't really get to, and it's the opposite for women. Women are told to get smaller right. and smaller and skinnier and skinnier until we disappear, and men are told to take up more and more and more space. Both things are not really human <laughs> and not realistic.
2: And yet, we find in these kind of uh, microcosmic ways that we've engendered even behaviors like your article mentioned, the man spreading. You know, we've engendered, for that matter, we've engendered things like food. We've engendered, you know, vegetarianism is not manly. Oh, think about
1: the phrase soy boy that's being used now. Right,
2: exactly.
0: I don't know how many times I've heard um, people make slightly derogatory comments at work because I prefer to eat a salad.
2: Right. Oh sure, than, yeah.
0: than a burger and fries. There's a, there's a young man, he's he's married, he's got two kids. He's he's has a degree in, in some kind of engineering, and now mostly he's playing around with software on the team that I work on. And he is just a very kind of pasty white doughboy, but you know, when we go down to have a, a team lunch, he's the one that's like getting the, the fries smothered in cheese with
1: uh-huh. Beef
0: on it and, and I don't see a vegetable anywhere near his plate. And he made some comment that he was glad he was done with the health program, the wellness program that everybody that the health and company wanted to put him on because he was overweight and, and had a health risk. Once he did the month long, you know oh. thing to get his weight down and, and complete the program, he was right back to, you know, half pounds of macaroni and cheese with bacon, right? Because why? Because that's manly stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, 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 you know, there's, there's kind of, with this trope, there were a couple of different things that, that I, that I noticed and things that kind of, and one of them, because you focus so much on, on the Hulk, you know, it's not only his size that, that is important to the go big or go home, but it's, it's the Hulk also carries with him that, that rage.
1: Oh sure, yeah.
0: And yeah, and the rage Banner, is big.
1: Bruce Banner is not the hero. Right. The Hulk is the hero. If Bruce Banner stayed Bruce Banner, he would he would not be a hero. He'd be like the the mad scientist sidekick or whatever. <laughs> but the Hulk is the one who is the hero. He has to become the Hulk and like you said, he has to be big and angry in order to get there. Right.
0: Big physique, big emotion, big violence. Everything about about the Hulk is is big.
2: Yeah, we're introduced to a new Hulk in Endgame where it's spoiler. I don't know <laughs> if you guys have seen it yet or not, but uh,
1: I don't care about spoilers. So. It's, Go
2: ahead. it's still Big Hulk, but he's got the mindset of Bruce. Oh, okay. So we've we've combined the best of both worlds, but have we? I mean, how right. really, I mean, how conducive really, <laughs> except for taking selfies with fans in restaurants, which is what you yeah. see in the movie, you know, I mean.
1: Uh, yeah, the way you said best of both worlds and then use the air quotes, that's absolutely true because Bruce Banner can't just be the normal size dude. Right even though come
2: on hello mark haughty, and with that brain but yeah that's the old this old stereotype of this is what is but it's not anymore and i think that the marvel universe is kind of you know where are they in that i wonder so much as a fan because you know honestly natalie portman uh not natalie portman but um uh black widow uh, uh-huh, yeah. scarlett johansson. uh scarlett johansson. scarlett johansson, johansson excuse me um sh- her character i really needed them to develop i really wanted that backstory i wanted more <laughs> of that and then what do they do in endgame but her you her know off. they fridge her kind of i mean is she gonna go sell a movie soon though Um, I did see
0: a Black Widow movie on the recent poster release It's going
2: to be one of these, like, they're doing this mass production along with, like, Disney films. So a lot of these backstories that they're going to do prequel films for will, I guess, only be released on, like, this Disney streaming service or something like that. Okay, I
1: see. So there's a
2: lot coming out. Some of it's going to be, like, major motion picture release kind of stuff. A lot of the other stuff, be one of these
1: blockbusters.
2: like Hawkeye's getting a little movie, I guess, but it's going to be one of these okay. streaming movies. And oh. I think, I think uh, Black Widow's story is mm-hmm. going to be the same. Loki's getting one too. Huh. Yeah, I mean, hmm.
1: what I was pointing out too, I mean, look at the difference in in those superhero movies from like even since the '80s. Mm-hmm. And then until right. today, like I was, I think I wrote about two. I think I wrote about the Superman, like the difference between mm-hmm. Christopher Reeve's Superman and then um, what's his face's Superman. Oh yeah, if Superman. you even go
0: back to the 30s and you go back to the original oh, well, sure. yeah, guy, yeah. I mean he actually he the the guy that originally did Superman on TV had dad bod. Right.
1: <laughs> or I mean, you look at like Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have this other Hulk now that's like literally not a human. Mm -hmm. It's way too big to be a human. It has to be CGI. Right. So I'm not sure how that is great. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And actually, we were just talking about, me and my partner were just talking about bodybuilding and how now they have a new division for what they call classic. Hmm. And because men are. This is for the men, I think. I don't know. Maybe it's men and women. I don't, I don't remember. But because men are getting so insanely big with all the new technology and bodybuilding, that oh, like you all the can't supplements just and- get stuff. built like Arnold Schwarzenegger was when he first entered those competitions. You can't. That's not enough anymore. So now they have a new division called classic where you can just be super insanely fit and amazing looking and then still compete
2: because you can't
1: have an amazing human body and compete Mm -hmm. and that's not a trope from entertainment well i mean unless you call bodybuilding entertainment but that's sort of what you
0: that's one aspect it's it's entertaining to somebody
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's a sort of like that's the body modification thing which is a direct reflection of culture and etc so you know, it certainly is influenced by something. And, and you know, now we have the technology to do stuff like draw in CGI a giant Hulk instead of just paint a bodybuilder green, you know. So, I mean, but what does that say that now that we have now we have it, we have the technology,
0: we, we have can build te- him. Right.
1: Yes. But, you <laughs> <That's know. clears throat> me. That was my
0: favorite you show cut, when I was a you kid. You can cut that, Heather.
1: <laughs> now that we can... Does that mean we should?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What are the costs? What's that line from Doctor Who? Do I have the right?
0: Oh, I was never a big Doctor Who fan.
1: Oh, that's
0: right. It's a shame. This is one of
1: your many flaws. I dabble. It's fine. (laughs) I have
0: so many flaws. It's
1: okay.
0: It's all right. (laughs) So, Okay. So we have this 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 body type that unattainable is unattainable
1: so, ideal, an unattainable ideal.
0: Right, but the interesting thing is, though, you know, we talk about the difference. How you know CGI has given us a a legitimately unattainable physical um, type, and I would also argue that even even our non CGI enhanced superheroes are a for the majority of people. A, an unattainable body type an unattainable well, yeah, body I mean, image you, you Because when the superhero
1: that... is, is their normal human man they're pretty normal but then when they become the superhero they're immediately bigger like even Iron Man he puts on that suit and he's bigger Spider-Man when he becomes Spider-Man he's a teenage kid but then he suddenly has ripped muscles and is V-shaped so any hero you have to become bigger in order to be a hero. And I, I even bring up in the article, like look at the more subtle examples than the superheroes, like the more subtle characters, like look at Bruce Willis in Moonlighting as compared to Bruce Willis in the Die Hard movies. Right. In the in Moonlighting, he's sort of a romantic lead, but he's not a hero type. In Die Hard, he ha- he's way more muscular, his muscles are way more cut, and his shirts are slashed enough that you see them. So what is this saying to society? It's saying... I mean, what does a hero mean? A hero is someone who fights the good fight. Right. Does that mean you can only do that if you're big and muscular and the ones who are skinny or small have to be the villains or the antiheroes? Right, right. What kind of message is that?
0: Yeah. No, that's it. It is a very destructive and self-defeating message. And, and, sure. and out of all of these messages that this particular trope is giving, none of them are directed at women.
1: No, uh-uh. no, this is not all an all. In,
0: this is all an internalized, you know, body image self thing. Yep,
1: yeah, that's totally. Now is it does that.
0: make it. Now having a, a large body does make other of our tropes more possible.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, when we get into things like um, Bond, in the in our uh-huh. third one, that makes um, his dominance. Possible being big. More
1: possible. Oh, I see. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. His his yep. dominance,
0: his his superiority makes is more possible because of the of a size of a body type ideal. Sure. When yep. we get into yep. um uh um the f- the fourth one, the nerd and the neck beard. Uh-huh. That's that one. There is only made possible because of its its um its counterbalance of of the jock. Sure.
1: Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. The nerd is the skinny one, and the neck beard is the fat like the the gamer in the basement like on South Park
0: right right but you know the thing is that I would argue that you know even though we have the new in 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 movies and in television we have the new ability with CGI to create these super huge unattainable male figures but that really isn't the one we need to worry about because that kind of represents the the cartoonish aspect of it. Right. cuz they are
1: called super superheroes, super they're superhuman.
0: But I think I think at times what we really need to watch out for, particularly in the body image department of what's represented, are those characters not necessarily superheroes but who suddenly show up, well take for instance the new Rambo movie. What fucking oh gosh, 70 year old looks like just... <laughs> Sylvester Stallone does? And right, why does right. Sylvester Stallone at 70 look like he does in that movie? Well, because he has a personal trainer, he's got millions of dollars, he's got a dietitian.
1: And let's be honest, probably a little CGI too. Let's be yeah, let's be yeah, totally right. honest.
0: But he's 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 not he's not hulkified.
1: No, he's not hulkified, no no. He's not completely <laughs> Right. The contrast between him and a regular sized man, quote unquote, is not that extreme like the Hulk, mm-hmm. but it's still an unattainable ideal. Right. Like you're saying, it's still like no 70 year old man is going to be looking like that. It's right. just not going to happen. Right. And he, honestly, probably doesn't look like that either. It's in the way he's shot, it's in the way, yep. like you said, he has his entire life is about that. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. But yeah. <laughs> or like the even subtler thing about the whole like, make the actor into a heroic type character Mm -hmm. thing, like I was talking about, like, you know, like the, like the Bruce Willis example, that's a way more subtle, but it's there and it's giving you a very clear signal.
0: Yeah. He, even though, even though Bruce Willis looks more physically imposing in, in Die Hard than he did in Moonlighting, you know, when he gets older and becomes an actual, after Die Hard becomes an actual action movie movie, you know, standard. He gets even more cut, even more yeah. and bigger. Balder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. There's you a whole know? thing about cut men with that are, that are bald. You know, look at the Jason Statham's and the oh
0: yeah, and yeah, the, yeah,
1: the rocks and the, <laughs> the Vin, the Vin
0: Diesel's. Yeah. And, but you know, the the interesting thing is though is that if you take a look at, well, let's take a look at. Let's let's apply this. The let's keep uh, um, go big or go home in mind, and let's think about um, war movies, mm-hmm. right? In war movies, you know, you have uh, an, an assortment. We have good guys versus bad guys type of situation, and you cannot have in a war movie your your villains, your bad guys, say the Germans, all be skinny, scrawny, they have to be frightening and intimidating, so they have to be as big or bigger than your heroes.
1: Not have to be. You have one of two things that tends to happen stereotypically with a war movie. One is the sort of Ivan Drago kind of syndrome, which is like like you say, there are all these blonde giants who are right. ter- terrifying. Or you have this kind of effeminizing of the villain. Where the villain is thinner. Oh, through three,
0: three, three, like an accent or something like that, maybe? An
1: accent and just a physicality, mm-hmm. too. Like the villains are often sort of more swishy. They're thinner. They wear different clothing. They're maybe more fastidious. Whereas the, say, American soldiers are kind of more rough and tumble and they, they get their right. sleeve ripped off and there's their bicep and that kind of thing whereas the villain might be a little bit more sort of fastidious and in a suit and
0: but still so there's, bigger there's or that. stronger or
1: but no no like less big like skinny there's there's two ways to go about that one is that they're bigger and terrifying and we're the scrappy Americans that that take over anyway but the other one is that sort of almost gay presenting villain mm-hmm. which means that they're thin and then they're like they a low all these key. kind of habit Oh yeah, exactly. Loki versus Thor. They're yes. both brother. They're half brothers, but mm-hmm. yeah, exactly.
0: Right. But when you actually you go into the into real world type of of military, you know, combat situations, I remember one time when I was very young because I grew up with I didn't grow up with as steeped in comic books as some of my friends. But I definitely was a, a sci-fi movie watcher, a sci-fi book reader, and 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 had an idealized version given to me by a society of what a a, a a soldier, a warrior, a heroic, you know, per, character, you know, type of man would be. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, looking through one of my history books about Vietnam, and I remember there being a picture of an American soldier, and. He was, and he didn't have a shirt on. He was grimy. He was filthy. And I remember looking at it and thinking, "That's my body type." Here's this person that's supposed to symbolize, at least within our culture, the heroic, you know, American soldier fighting a good fight in a in a in a, in a war not of his own making. You know that the politicians got him into. You know he's fighting this 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 tricksy. You know tunnel digging violent you know enemy other <laughs> other the other and yeah. and he had my body type which was like n- almost no upper body definition just because I'm wiry I don't have like that shelf of muscle that you <laughs> see some guys have you know, like pectorals where it's like Jesus Christ you're the reason that chickens are deformed because we expect <laughs> that to be breast meat right it's and you know i i you know i'm pretty much a rail and this is what that
1: so chicken chicken boobs i think has to be (laughs) a contender for the title of this one chicken boobs i must put this out there yeah (laughs) or chicken pecs pecs. jokes about that
0: or or did you ever look at the what was it um it was a, there was a, a blog that was going on for a while, and actually came out with a book, um, "Hot Chicks with Douchebags."
1: Oh, I've heard of the blog, but yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and there was there was they had a picture of one guy who they called McBooby or something like that. I don't remember exact name, but he had one of these weird shirts where he was covered from like mid arm up to his shoulder and from waist up to just below his pectoral muscles. And his pectoral muscles were bare in this shirt, you know, and he had the flip. It was so fucking bizarre. (laughs) And if I could, if I could find the picture, I'll send it to you sometime. But, and it's like, but no, there was this rigid, like hard, like shelf of muscle right here where the pectorals are. And it's like, I've never, ever, and will never, ever have that. I so desperately at one point, speaking of comic book superheroes and their real-life you know, doppelganger human actors that I have a crush on, a man crush on, Ryan Reynolds. I would love oh, yeah. to have Ryan Reynolds' physique.
1: Well, I mean, even if you look at, like...
0: And even like, he's got that weird like, shelf of, like, right. n- boob meat.
1: Well, if you look at, <laughs> right? at, at like, football players... American football players versus right. soccer players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's still an aspect of being unrealistically muscular. Right. I guess is what I, I'm trying to say.
0: But no, I was just remember being shocked at that picture. Here was this wiry, thin almost a feet-looking guy, but he was an American soldier. He had the classic, you know, American soldier helmet on. He had the rifle, you know. He was dirty and grimy and smeared with stuff, and he was pointing off at the enemy, like, we're going to go get him there. And it's yeah. like... <laughs> so I don't have to... And it was... I think that was the moment when I realized, you know, you don't have to beef up to be the hero. And in so, fact, oh, it nice. might not actually be a good thing to be that fucking beefy right oh it's
1: yeah it's it tends to be kind of bad for you for mo- for a lot of people i think it's interesting though too we can even talk this is again getting way t- too much into so like s- society and stuff like that but the fact that that's a picture from the vietnam war as opposed right. to say world war Two, mm-hmm. where we were all like we can <laughs> save you. Right. We are the heroic But Americans. you can find those bah- pictures.
0: You can find those pictures from World War II as well. You can find one oh, yeah. from the Korean oh, okay. War. The the one from the Korean War that kills me is you have is there was an American GI whose best friend was just killed, and a medic is comforting this guy, and it's very much a maternal pose. He is holding the man's head against his chest. Wow. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. And it's this very tender moment in the middle of combat where they're like, "Oh, he's like, yeah, you, the one man is just in intense pain and grieving. And this other man is cradling him almost like a mother. And so, so like a Madonna
1: instead of a Pieta, right?
0: Right. And it and is weird, you know, because this is one thing I think that will come up as we talk about these tropes again and again and again, is this is something you don't see in the tropes is you do not see go big or go home and the Bond stuff or anything like that or the nerd in the neck beard or, or or grow a pair. And even we get into the later ones, which I've only read the paragraphs about, you do not see this weird, weird thing that every single combat vet will tell you is true. Is that in that moment when they are actually... The, their their life is actually threatened by their environment. Every single facet of, of the human emotional range is acceptable for those can men. Can we talk
1: about men and women in combat, though?
0: Yes, we can. Because you also have to deal with the fact that when you get into combat, you have and, and women have been in combat in the last 30 to 40 years, you get into combat where women are intensely fierce. You have um, Tammy Duckworth. You know, lost two legs. You have you have the uh, the woman who was fictionalized in that in that who uh, um, it was it was she was played by Meg Ryan. Um, oh right, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: right. I forget, who, I forget her name. And then of course history is littered. Um, Laird Hunt, our our cohort from uh, previous Naropa years, Uh-oh. his book Never Home is entirely about a woman who. Tends to be a man to go off to war, and she's heroic and valorous, and she's she's oftentimes more aggressive and violent and and physically dominating than the men around her.
1: Sure, but I just mean like, is that allowed for the women too?
0: What the full range of? Yeah. Well, combat does weird things. They're
1: pretty objectified. They're pretty raped a lot and stuff like that. Although I've been reading a lot of pieces now about how men are raped a lot also in the military so i don't really know what to say about that but i'm just throwing that out there like
0: and i understand all of that is out there but what i'm i'm bringing that up is that you know we have go big or go home we have these toxic masculinity tropes and it seems to me that one of the remedies for right for these things would be an an honest representation of um of how the violence that these tropes tend to be swimming in brings out those sides of 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 men that we generally want to repress,
1: right?
0: Because when you take a look at the MCU, we'll talk about number
1: two, <laughs>
0: right? When you take a look at all of that stuff, all of these toxic, what they do is they say no, 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 no. All of the stuff you th- you hear about men being gentle or compassionate, you know, under duress they're Uh, not real men that's not they're not real men what's the only way to be heroic is to be bigger than everybody else and and more dominant the only way to be um and you don't stoic right you don't see like captain america
2: well that's what i think of when you talk about that because he was the most heroic he was the you know he had the most valor and he didn't have a place within World War II until he was big. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, As a small character, you know, he loved his best friend, you know, Bucky more than anything. And he had this, um, love for agent Carter. And he really, you know, if anything, Captain America, uh, you know, he got to be one of the most large, um, characters, you know, Second only to, or you know, to the Hulk, to to Thor. Yeah. You know, there's Captain America, um, but within him was a guy who, by the end of Endgame, you know, threw it all in to go find the love right. of his life mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. live a life of of normalcy without all of the the hoopla. Because that's who Captain America is, right. you know, deep down.
0: It's interesting.
1: Do you think that part of the antidote, and this might be true for the, the badass female tropes, too, do you think part of the the way to, air quotes, correct these tropes or to undo them is to talk about stuff like that that picture from the war, like real life? And not th- just th- real life so. of the incels shooting up Walmarts, but the right. real life of, of other people that haven't fallen under the prey of this... Toxicity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just like toxicness, to- yeah, toxicity, toxicity.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have an MFA in writing too. Yay! What do you think about the attempts of uh, the Marvel Universe, MCU, and Netflix to do these alt hero series? Um, I'm thinking of um, Jessica Jones, and I'm thinking of um, I think that actually might the blind be another superhero. Step. Yeah,
1: I think an, that might be another step in the right direction too. Like to have an entire movie of Wonder Woman was pretty. I mean, with all the problems that I despite all the out problems it, that the
0: Wonder Woman presented, that as was a, still as a, a trope. really
1: big move in the right, right. direction. Um, right. I think having a, a solo movie for each of the heroes, and having more backstory and seeing them more as humans. I think that could be a really big step in the right, a big yeah. <laughs> step in the right direction. Yeah. I don't think it's going to correct anything necessarily, but yeah, like you said, having an entire movie with black widow, mm-hmm. we can actually see more of like who she is and what her background is. Cause all we get is a hint of it and makes her kind of a badass. Um, So yeah, I think that having, making them more into humans and having them more at, on a human scale, I think is right. a big um, improvement.
0: Well, I think, I think that's why I've, well, they're two of my favorite superheroes have always been, and I know you pointed out Spider-Man before is occasionally, you know, he's supposed to be a teenage boy, but suddenly he's cut, he's got a V shape. But when you, but the thing is, is that, you know, the, uh, the two best Spider-Man movies that I've, that I've seen have been the most recent ones with Tom Holland. Right. Uh-huh. And, Yes, he does. When you put him in the skin-tight Spider-Man suit, he looks like he's got, you know, a bit of a physique. You take him out of that, you take him out of that suit and he's not physically that much different than me. Right. You but know? also he's
1: a teenager too, so
0: Right. He doesn't have he the isn't. he doesn't have the pudgy midsection that I do and he's maybe got a little bit more pectoral <laughs> definition than I do. But, you know, I would be surprised if he if if he I don't know how tall he is. He's certainly... I don't know that he's 6'1". And he's probably everyone, not...
1: Everyone in Hollywood is shorter than you think they are. <laughs> so. I know.
0: Everyone in Hollywood is way shorter. And and I doubt he weighs 190 pounds. But, you know, the other, the other Marvel superhero that I always kind of liked was Daredevil.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And he was also one who was never really ever drawn with, you know a massive body.
2: Well, and I think the other aspect of Daredevil was, um, you know, he, he wasn't the largest, he, you know, w- there is the aspect of ableism that they're touching upon, and then his intelligence is also comes into play. Sure. I think that he's a highly intelligent character. Right. Um, and I think that these series, um are opening up a door. It almost seems as though they're they're kind of testing the waters to see, you know, how much money can we make if we were to actually turn one of these anti-hero heroes into a right. big screen production. Yeah. Let's test it out on Netflix and see how we do.
0: I hope they use the guy because Marvel has a good rep- a good track record of 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 integrating their their cinematic universe and their television universe. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I would love to see the guy who plays Daredevil do a feature movie as Daredevil because he would be so much better than Ben Affleck. (laughs) 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 Um, Listen, I mean, I like Ben Affleck, whatever. I like him better as kind of the tall, dorky nerd guy than the action hero Ben Affleck. I like the action hero Ben Affleck is like, This, the action hero Ben Affleck, is this trope.
1: Yes, right, right. Because he
0: has to be bigger. Because he couldn't be, he couldn't. Ben Affleck couldn't be an action hero with the body he had in saving in in um chasing Amy. Amy. He couldn't be the hero that he was even in um even in the Dogma movies where he had bit parts or, or the Clerks movies that he had bit parts in or any yes, of the other yeah. Kevin Smith stuff he, he was, did.
2: He was just always good at being himself as a bit part in a Kevin Smith movie. That's what he's good at doing. That's kind yeah, of his totally. like right. Totally. But when
0: he tries to be a, an action hero, it's...
2: It's disingenuous. Yeah. We can't... We, yeah. We're and, not and buying it. And you
0: see this guy who does not normally have this bulky you know, go big or go home physique who has the money to pay for a personal trainer suddenly become big and bulky. And you're like,
1: yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. And and the costumes that he's put in and all that stuff too, everything has something to do with it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Now you gotta, that's, I guess that's the thing with, with all of these tropes, but especially with go big or go home is there's a, because it forces people it forces these characters and these heroes into this box you run the risk of having it be not only destructive as a as an unattainable body image yeah but dishonest in relation to the 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 the, the core personality of that of that actor or that character and oh, i think sure, that's yeah. and I dishonest think,
1: is a good way yeah if you look at even like like the the Photoshop being used on women in Instagram or mm. like in supermodel spreads in Vogue. That's a dishonesty, <laughs> too. Right. It's,
0: right. it's
1: the same kind of idea. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's unattainable. It's also dishonest. And. The-
0: I, I, I joined the Y and I started paying a Y membership and I told the guy that signed me up that I wanted to look like Ryan Reynolds. That was seven years ago. I still... That's nah, not going to happen. And we have to come to terms with that. We have to realize that, you know, these these images of masculinity as being incredibly large, incredibly powerful. Cut. Those are not always the best, the only, or the right way to be a man. You know, it's like right. that. Right. It's that, not
2: the only way of being beautiful. Right. As a man. It's such a limited way to think about... Human mm-hmm. beings, anyway. I mean, because as women, I'm sure that you know, Jen can um, can understand where I'm coming from with this. It's it's the same. You know, we were um, raised in an environment where actually being the the heroin chic was the thing, and skinny, 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 and this unobtainable, unless you wanted to be sickly (laughs) kind of uh, body was what we were being inundated by. And, um, you know, jokes on us, we, we actually grew up to find out, well, that's not even ironically enough what men right. want oh, uh, sure, yeah, so to yeah, speak and it's so limiting to think that and the same can be i think extended to this trope you know women i'm not even attracted to the hyper masculine and i never have been and i've always thought why is this put out there as if it's the thing well i mean look at this look at the whole craze in to. the late
1: 80s with the um, the second uh, English invasion with all the bands coming in from England oh, who, yeah, with, yeah. who wore makeup and were skinny and, and wore very, like their hair was very, very elaborate and almost feminized and
0: poison, poison. Well, po- yeah, when their poison. their, their, their debut Duran album Duran. cover, everybody thought they were girls.
1: Right. And Duran Duran had that same kind of, we used to call it androgynous back then, yeah but they man. were, right. but they were like, they had hordes of screaming women lusting after. Them. And look at Prince.
0: Oh, I you so know? wanted to be Prince. I wanted to dance like Prince.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, that's completely opposite this of this trope, right? right. He's little. He wears platform shoes.
0: He's lithe he, and he's...
1: he's... Yeah, he's lithe. I wouldn't say he's skinny, but he's definitely a small dude. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, panties flew off all around this guy yeah. so i mean in real life Even it's my some, some of the icons of some entertainment actually flies directly in the face mm-hmm. of this trope so that's also interesting and cool i want to talk a little bit about that type of androgyny when i talk about um the number five i think it is uh-huh. the the two-sided gay one.
0: Oh yeah my gay best friend it's
1: this it's this kind of um ambiguousness that's a very interesting thing and it's when it when it's made toxic it tends to be damaging to a lot of people but there's this interesting sort of series of entertainments that fly in the face of that so I'm going to talk right. about that later but that's later that's not right now
0: anyway Tonight was go big or go home <laughs> and we went big we talked about a lot of stuff i think we did I one.
1: went big and I'm already home so there
0: you go The only person who's <laughs> not home right now is Heather Oh <laughs>
1: Well, thanks for going. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, thanks for going big. Now go home. Yeah.
0: Well, let me <laughs> let me, let me uh, put this. Uh, say good night.
2: Oh, good night.
0: The Outrider Podcast is orchestrated by me, Jason Quinn Malotte And audio production Magic is performed by Heather Ann Eden. You can find the show online at jquinnmalott.com. And if you would, please hop on iTunes and give us a rating. We'll be back later in 2020 with more mini-series, live shows, and one-on-one conversations with writers, editors, and publishers. Thanks for listening.